We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We know what we are, we know what we are, champions of the community, we know what we are. This is the Arsenal Vision Postmatch Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, you can find me on Twitter, Inc. That's right, Arsenal are champions of the community. And I believe if it was an American sport, we would be world champions of the community because that's how we do it over here. Um, but that is not what we are. Uh, we are also, it's interesting, I don't know if you saw this, but they are actually going to rename it the Arsenal Stadium at Wembley, um, which I think makes sense. Like, why would you call it anything else? Because when we go there, we win. Nobody else wins, we win. Um, Manchester City, let's just face it, this is a trophy they cannot win. They're going to need to refocus on it. I think what they should do is sort of scrap their plans this season and just start restructuring themselves for an assault on the community shield. That's that's the plan. If I had Pep's ear, that is definitely what I would be saying. My friends, the season beckons. This week, we will have our preseason prediction episode, which is always fun, either because um, you like predictions or because you like making fun of us for being wrong in public. And I know which one you like. Um, We will be releasing new music. We rolled the new music out on the Instant Reaction pod for patrons. And as with anything new, the reaction was unanimous. Everybody had the exact same view. No, I'm kidding. 50% of the people loved it. 50% of the people hated it. Um, and the rest of the people just didn't didn't respond. So we'll see. We'll see if I hold my nerve and stick with it or, or back down to the people that complained. But we'll, we'll find out as we go. A fun, fun day for Arsenal to take the Community Shield in an interesting way. And it's great. It's the perfect it's the perfect game to podcast about. There were interesting lineup choices. There were refereeing debacles. There were there were interesting tactical elements. There were performances to get stuck into. And and there was a trophy to lift and a celebration to be had. And here to discuss all of that with me is Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Pause My Pants. Hello, Pause. Woo-hoo. All right. And Clive, you can find him on Twitter at Clive BFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Um, and I do want to say to the law firm of uh, James... Andrew 
and Andrew PC. Uh, we got your letter, the let's do this thing. That's done. Paul, Paul will not be doing that anymore. So yeah, we're glad. No, we're not going to do it anymore. So, uh, you know, let's do this. Ah, there it is. There it is. With, okay. Without saying let's do this. No, we, but without saying that, right. We, we will do the pod without any of that nonsense. Um, sometimes I think because we like to get into the lineups and the analysis of tactics and things like that, that's really the meat of what we do in our pod, which is great. But then it means that we put at the back the part that I think is really supposed to be at the front sometimes, which is just the celebration of winning this thing. And of course, of course, of course, you had the celebration police. You had Rio Ferdinand saying, I can't even remember how many Community Shields I won. And I do recommend you find Stillmanator's timeline yesterday. He took it upon himself to be the hero we deserve and clap back to everybody who tried to police celebrations yesterday in the most hilarious fashion possible. And I, I think he was dropping bodies all over the place. But it is the case that we are a bit guilty sometimes of always looking ahead, not taking the time to enjoy the moment before us. Clive, you were there how exuberant were the Arsenal fans? How much did it mean? How enjoyable was it? Because to do it, not just at Wembley and lift a trophy, that's a, tro let's say it's like a trophy minus, right? It's a trophy, but just a little less than that. But to do it against Manchester City, given that we we expect, once again, that they will be the Goliath we have to slay. How, how celebratory was the mood? How much did it mean to you? Yeah, it was uh, like a normal Wembley day, right? We I've been there for semi-finals and finals. I was I was sober this one, really, not pretty sober. So I would I wouldn't say it to me. Sorry, I, would, I, would, I know, I know. <laughs> a few issues traveling. <laughs> it's my fault. Late again. Uh, I'm still but, testing at ten percent margarita myself. <laughs> <laughs> but I can see the game. I remember the game quite clearly. And yeah, it's just it was just a normal Arsenal Wembley experience. And I think maybe it's because it was them. It's because it was City. I think that's what made it edgy. That's what made it exciting when we finally overcame them. And obviously, winning on penalties is never a bad thing. So for me, it's just a normal Arsenal game, and we wanted to win it bad. And we did put, we put everything into it, and we took it seriously, and so did they. And it was, it was a, a top-level Champions League level football match and I felt incredibly pleased that we're at this level of football now and and we are there by 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 right we really are there you know and that was the thing I walked away with my goodness we are really there we're there we're right at the top we've all spent the last few years watching these games happen around us but now we're in it and we're right there and I think that excitement we were there and that maybe confirmation that we really are there by the end result was what made everyone happy on the way out and down Wembley way. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have to say, you know, the, the 2020 FA cup was brilliant, especially going through city and Chelsea to get it. But the no fan thing meant that it, it felt a bit hollow. There's just something about lifting a trophy in front of fans, the celebration. And, and I do think because it was over city, you look, Nobody needs to be reminded, even though I do it, I think I've done it on every single episode I've recorded in the last week and a half about the Liverpool City one last season, what happened and what happened after that. But it's it's still a celebratory moment and it's one that I enjoyed. I wouldn't say I was exuberant. I would say I was really happy and just felt joyous about it. Um, and I think it's totally fine to feel that way. Paul, I think you could talk yourself into the idea 
that this matters psychologically. There's plenty of evidence that it won't, but I'm going to dismiss that evidence and choose to go with the angle I want. Like, I, I know one of the things that makes Mikel special is that he's a special motivator. He, you, you know, you've, you've seen from the Amazon documentary, he's very thoughtful about the messaging he wants to bring to his team. He has new players he's trying to integrate. All three of them started yesterday. I think to do this against City and, and win this way, and especially, I mean, this may sound silly, but penalties. Penalties are as much a test of nerve as anything else. And to hold your nerve up against City and, and win it, I can spin this as being relevant to the challenge we face against City ahead because we know we won't win a title if we lose to them twice again this season. So are you prepared to say it matters psychologically um, or is it just one of those things that football has proven before is not the case? I think it matters to us. Um, I mean, not that they didn't play and they didn't want to win. Um, like, they have their pride and... Um, I think what you saw all over this pitch yesterday, Rice talked about games within games. Now, I don't think he could be more specific without causing a bit of an issue. I think he means individual battles. Mm. And all over these this pitch, players are matching up to the players that done them dirty last season. And so you got White against Grealish. You got Saliba against Haaland. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you had Timber against... Uh, Bernardo Silva they've never met up before but he knew what he was going to be facing against Silva on that side and completely neutralized him you had what was really interesting was the front three in terms of how we pressed I expected it to be Martinelli the striker whoever that was going to be plus Odegaard that's our normal front three but in this case we had Havertz on the left side of it and Rice in the middle and Rice pushing against uh, Rotary trying to neutralize Rotary. And it was a very specific plan for Arsenal to get one up on City and for City to show we couldn't lay a glove on them. So there were battles within this that go beyond it. This was more like a Liverpool versus City. There were, like this was, here we go again. This is new look us and what's our stuff versus your stuff. And that's what this game was. It had way more than your normal community shield. Now City will bat this off. They cared on the day, but they don't, in the bigger scheme of things, they'll say, well, we didn't have all our players. Were. But Arsenal will come out of this saying, our stuff matched their stuff. We won our battles. I've got a feel for my guy, White versus Grealish. He'll come away from this feeling really good. He kept him out of the game. He'll know Grealish will come back stronger, but we know our stuff worked. And that's what I think the community shield was about for us and for winning, the winning mentality, because we yep. haven't won as much as we wanted to. I think that's really well said, Paul. And it's funny, had you not said Saliba versus Holland, I probably would have forgotten to touch on it later in the pod because I literally forgot Erling Holland played in this game. So it's funny. There are certain days where everybody lands on the same word. You know what I mean? Like there were certain days last season where, you know, I I think after the Bournemouth game, there was like the word destiny. Of course, that turned out not to be true. So maybe the less said, the better. But like, (laughs) like, Everybody was using the words Rolls Royce related to Saliba yesterday, just independently. It was like some we'd all been briefed to use it, but it was the only word that came to mind. Um, he, yeah, he was sensational. I think was it Declan Rice or someone on Instagram called him a Rolls Royce? Like he, he was special. And, and by the way, Declan Rice must love this thing. You just pull on a shirt, you get on a pitch, and they hand you a trophy after the game. That's that's all that happens to him lately. Clive, let's let's dig into the to the game a bit though, and the lineup. 
is one of those things that had kind of stopped being a talking point last season, but it's a talking point today for a number of reasons. Without Jesus, it was a chance to see how Mikel would want to go at center forward. I felt that, look, this is, as Tim called it in the instant reaction, a friendly plus. And what I mean by that is you take it seriously, but you still have a chance to experiment somewhat. This was an audition, I think, for Havertz at nine. It was also a chance to see something Mikel had been talking about, which is Havertz giving us the ability to go over a press and and play a little bit differently at nine. So we saw that. We saw Rice at left eight. Party, of course, maintaining number six. Timber for Zinchenko, who did not play, although he played in the Ukrainian friendly, which is kind of funny. Um, I think the big story of all of that is Havertz starting at nine. And I'm curious, two things on that for you. One, obviously how he did, but two, if you think that really was sort of his audition and, and how he came out from it. Um, I, I think it was the best decision on the day. And mm. when we made those two signings, this is how I thought it would have gone. But then I started to see things like party going, and I thought, okay, maybe I've looked at this wrong. But when Shaka went and Rice came in, this is what I sort of envisaged. And But I don't think, then I still step back because I think we're going to do all sorts of things this year and not just do the one thing, right? So, so Paul touched on a point there. What I'll do, Elliot, rather because I thought Havertz was great, particularly in the first half. Well, well Dave, if I just do a quick yeah. summary of the game, sort of tactically, how it sort of transpired. Is well, yeah, okay? I definitely want to get to that. So if you want to do that now, that is a perfect time for it. Yeah. I think, it'll, I think it'll put a good overlay for the rest of the podcast, right? So Yeah, please do. I, I felt in this game, it, it was almost like watching us mentally grow up on the pitch. I think we played them at the start, just like we always play them. We tried to build up. We're going to Thomas Party. Thomas Party is overexposed. He's particularly overexposed when Zinchenko's not next to him because Zinchenko's closer than Timber generally is. He tends to cradle the team rather than go inside. So that's fine, different stylistically. So they really tried to cut, cut that link between Party and Rice, which they did successfully. All their recovery runs are very central and they really do smash you in the middle of the pitch. And then they get the ball and they start to play. And then they start to move it around nice and slowly, nice and calmly. And then they clip it into a runner that runs through and then they try to overload that side and we, we stop them. But we're not stopping them with composure, we're stopping them under stress. So your exit's under stress, so you give the ball back to them. They create a new wave of attack. Let's say, come on, come on, And then suddenly we try to get a chance to break. And when we break, we break with lack of maturity and composure. Give the ball back to them. That's another wave of attack. Then we calm down. And stop trying so hard to chin them. How about we just play them? You know, let's do what they do. Let's play with the same pace, the same assurance, the same confidence on the ball. And we did that. So I had to move the ball around. And I said yesterday, the, the key to two, the thing I saw, the two key things I saw really, Havertz putting in challenges to win the ball back for us to give us confidence. He was the first one over the top. Declan Rice and Party taking turns to drop between two centre-backs really important because that gave us the overload in the base of our team and then we could build up slowly. And Paul noted the point about Declan Rice once we did lose the ball being like a sweeper in front, in between the front two, we, but sort of in front, looking over his shoulder, working out where the ball's going to go and trying to nick it or get back and nibble from the front. So he was like a front sweeper. Very clever use of his superpower. Again, I'll take his alley for two minutes. He's already said he's the best interceptor in the league. Why don't I let him intercept? You know, really smart, really smart uses of him. But then that composure came, and then we started to punch through them. 
So suddenly their little holes and their blankets started to show up. And then Ben White went in first, Saka went in second, and we all know what happened. Mm-hmm. Number one thing to take away from this game is we have seen the light of what, how to play this team. We have seen what top-level football's like, what it feels like when it's played against us, and what it does to a top-level team when we do that to them. Play with composure, accuracy, maturity, physical one-on-one ability, the ability to win it back, the ability to run away from people and separate. We've got all of that in this team. We've got the right size, we've got the right bodies, and they're all tactically aware of what they're trying to achieve. They may not always play well. They may not always play the pass correctly, but they know what they're doing, and they know their roles, and they are totally, totally aligned with each other. You could not fail to spot it on the pitch yesterday. Win or lose, I was already excited at halftime. You heard my instant reaction. Win or lose, because I, I knew we'd I knew we'd overcome something. The thing that was stopping us. And I, I think this is very positive for our future going forward. Yeah, and I think I have to admit, look, going into this game, I thought the preseason had been a bit uneven. That there were things I really liked and was really excited about. I I believe our attack is going to produce chances and ultimately produce a lot of goals. I was a little nervous about how easily teams were turning us around, how easily teams were breaking our lines and getting us running at our goal. What this performance did for me, not that that's why Arsenal play football, but I appreciate it, is it totally evolved my sense of where we are in our preparation and of how ready we are to look balanced for the season. We had a really good balance, even in the 20 minutes to start the game where we were dominated a bit. I thought our low block, our 4-4-2 block, looked solid and compact. And then as we got into the game, I thought we had the right balance and spacing on the pitch. I thought a big part of that is Yuri and Timber, who deserves a lot of credit because that Zinchenko role is so important. And while he does it differently, I thought he did it brilliantly. We saw Saliba at his absolute best to be able to cover ground when he needed to. So defensively, we had the players performing the way they needed to. I thought Rice's first half was hesitant, but in the second half, I think we saw a Declan Rice start to express himself as more of the player who we know him to be. We saw that eye-catching ball recovery that brought a huge cheer from the crowd, but I think we also saw him starting to be a little more progressive, turn and face, give the ball forward, and I I think maybe Arteta had a word in his ear because the first thing he did, second half, is come out, turn, face, progress the ball, maybe just starting to get that comfort level with, with being in this team. And so overall... In terms of our balance, our structure, our solidity, the way the pieces fit together, this really worked. I'll read you something on Havertz's performance. Um, uh, uh, Mikel said, on him doing everything but scoring goal, yes, I think so. He was superb. The way he pressed and how intelligent he is to try and understand certain spaces and the timing of it, he was great and got in great positions to score. He was unlucky not to score, but he was very physical when he needed to be, so I was very pleased with him. And and Paul, I think, I think that is going to be an area of focus because we're going to be without Jesus for a while. Eddie Nketiah started against Monaco. Havertz got this game um, and, and almost all of this game, really. Um, I, I think we saw, sure, maybe not the finishing we'd like, but I will say on one of the chances, the touch and turn to to set himself to even have that shot, I think was real good. It's funny, I was watching with my friend Ian um, at my house, and one thing we were saying all game is, it's crazy how a tight football game just boils down to, did you get the little deflection? Did you get the little nick? Did the ball, you know, when Havertz touches, turns, and shoots, 
instead of nicking off a player and going to the keeper, does it go into the corner, right? Football is sometimes just about the little bounces going your way. And then ironically, in the 100th minute, it is the little bounce that goes our way after a game of it not going our way. So just... What did your imaginary friend Ian reply to you? Uh, well, well, my imaginary friend Ian is also a huge source of me getting any tickets to games when I go, so he can continue to be imaginary if it means I continue to get his tickets. That's fine by me. But uh, um, yeah, no, he, he, what he said to me, and this is a true story, he said, I love watching games with you because you absorb all the worry for me, and I just feel there's no room left for me to worry. So just so you know, I am, I'm out here serving the people in IRL as well. Um, did you want to speak on, on the Havertz role? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. like I, I went and watched the the Monaco game again, uh, which mm-hmm. was in many ways a bit unremarkable. Um, but I watched Havertz, and he was playing the left eight, and he was very on the the Jaka part of the game that being aware, knowing his role, pointing at other players, covering gaps. Um, really, a very balanced performance either way maybe not super noteworthy in terms of what he did himself but in terms of how he played and then i was listening to the arse cast this morning uh, or at least a bit of it i could before we started up here and andrew allen was talking about how uh, arteta was clapping havertz just for his uh, filling back in running back covering mm. and i think that was a great performance yesterday from Havertz, not necessarily because of individual moments, but in terms of what he did in terms of the overall game. Very much woven into the Arteta ball, what he's going to require from a player like Havertz. He's not a free anything. He's not a guy who can roam and do whatever he likes. A very disciplined role he played yesterday. Great pressing. Uh, Jesus-level uh, aggression on the press. I don't think that's gotten enough coverage from the things I've I've read and seen out there. I mean, just leading the press in the way only Odegaard or Jesus can. Super aggressive, forcing turnovers, then filling back in. I thought that was uh, incredibly encouraging in terms of just a switched onness. I mean, it's not just about you know trying or effort. It's the switched onness when you lose the ball in that fraction of the section. Uh, of a second does your mind switch to where's the threat where's the worry where Mm. should i be in fact have you anticipated that which the best players do you can't suddenly say oh we've lost the 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 ball i wonder what i'm supposed to do in this moment let me try really hard um he was switched on he knows his job in two different positions now we've heard mikhail emphasize that he could play off the right being a lefty so we've got cover potentially for Saka. I mean, we've heard such things about Jesus, and we never used that there. But now we've got a couple of players uh, between him and Jesus who could cover for Saka. I thought this was really, really encouraging beyond a couple of moments. I think Saka missed the biggest chance of the game. Um, yeah, when but, he kicked fresh but, air across. Yeah, yeah, that was right after the Rice ball recovery, by the way. <laughs> yeah, and I think there will be too much emphasis on Havertz's chances, which... I think there were half chances and, you know, that happens to strikers. We'll see after a few more games if, you know, where he is in terms of putting his chances away. But uh, I think too much attention went on the missed chances. I thought he was great. Yeah. It, without having a brilliant performance, I think his role was great. It, one thing I want to say, too, is that I, I think we sometimes overstate the importance of having a target man because you don't go long that much. But when you go long, you need the ball to stick. And there's that one video making the rounds at the time the ball, like Ramsdale, went long. He collected it, touched it, rolled out, and and, and 
distributed out to the left. And we know Jesus can do it. Havertz clearly can too. I, I think that is something that you want from someone in the front three so you can play out over a press. Clive, I, I'm going to come to you on a, a boring topic and then we can stay with you for something a little more fun. But I think it's at least worth referencing because it, it is a big talking point on the day, the refereeing and the new rules. And some of the, first of all, I'm glad that we don't have to sit here and pull our hair out. Well, <laughs> I'm glad that we don't have to sit here and be upset <laughs> about refereeing um, too much because because we wound up uh, being victorious on the day. But obviously, the way the yellow cards were distributed didn't feel fair. I don't know what it is with Rodri. It's like he's got an invisibility cloak on or something. I do think that Manchester City break up play with fouls. It is something they do. It is an important part of their tactic. And when you don't book Rodri you make him 15, 20% better player than he already is. Because on a yellow, he can't use some of the dark arts that he uses to control a game. I thought the, the distribution of yellow cards was weird. The two things we saw were yellow cards for player behavior, not so much fouling, and then Mikel getting it for touchline behavior. We saw that, and we saw the clock management, the World Cup clock management come back. My suspicion, like so many people, is that we will see that for some portion of the season and it will start to recede and recede and recede and go back to normal. Um, any thoughts on the updated refereeing, the way the game was refereed and, and impact on the upcoming season? So it became quite apparent that this game was the showcase game for the new rules. rules. Yeah, yeah, good point. You're at, you're at Wembley, front of the nation. Like, why not test it out? Because now we can use this game to let everyone know what our new thresholds are, new boundaries are. Mm -hmm. And for those people who who are in non-league and are close to referees, they get assessed a lot. And when a referee is getting assessed, they do crazy things. Right? And this referee was being assessed. I mean, Howard Webb was in the crowd, for goodness sake. right? And, um, and so the, ma the major changes in summary um, is around time-wasting. And so kicking the ball away is one. Being aggressive towards the referee, running towards the referee is, is another. Showing fake cards, etc., that's a yellow, is another thing they're going to clamp down on. And it's all about protecting referees because, and I and I am for that, by the way, because at the lower levels of the game, there's not enough referees, right? There is not an opportunity for this. So basically, we have a situation where without referees, we have no game. So you've heard me say that before. And the way referees are treated are, are shocking. So we were the test case for this. So, But one thing that is allowed to stay the same is the physical side of the game. That's, in, if anything, the bar is going to lower for that. So you can do more fouls. <laughs> and so what did, <laughs> what did Man City do? They fouled us, didn't get cards. What did we do? Flick the ball away with our feet, got a yellow. Uh, our, our manager got a card. And so the things that really affected us really affected us. And so it was tough to take, particularly when we were running through and they were pulling us back. I think the one thing the rules are not really catering for, Elliot, is the, the counter-fouling. The counter-fouling when we're breaking into space. So it's all about allowing physical contact. I, I get that. But when you're breaking into space, clearly your shirt's been pulled back and there's a pass on to go into more space, I think you have to look at the situation and, and treat that accordingly. If you're tapping someone's ankles when he's lost his picture and he's protecting the ball, don't book him for that in his, in his own half because there's no attack you're stopping. If you're stopping someone breaking, like Havertz got his shirt pulled off and there's a pass to Martin on the left-hand side available, he couldn't play the pass and Martin would have been one-on-one -on -one into open space, that to me deserves a card. 
right? And that's the sort of thing that Rodri didn't get. So I think the yeah, referee well is that. So I am for the rule change. As simple as that. As long as they're consistent, as long as they happen throughout the season. Um, you, we remember the Newcastle game. We had a massive eruption Newcastle at home about them time wasting and we were mm-hmm. big on this big on time and I'm glad to see the, the clock being um, pushed forward although I don't think Man City time wasted so I felt a bit unfortunate for them you know but um, but yeah, yeah. I, I'm for it I'm for it and we just need to settle down it will settle down over time Pep complained about it at full time, which is so ridiculous because you know there's going to be many, many games this season when smaller teams at nil-nil are wasting time against him, and he's going to be glad to have that time back. We're going to see Manchester City score 105th-minute winners this season, no doubt. The amount of time they're going to be adding back does change the dynamic. It changes the thought on timing of subs, how many minutes players are playing. If you've got 10 extra minutes a game that you didn't have last season, it's 380 minutes over a season. That's, I mean... There are some players that would be thankful to have 380 minutes in a season at, at a big club. So it does change how you think about your squad a bit. Um, Paul, quickly on that, because then, then I have something yeah. for Clive that I want to ask about you. Yeah, look, uh, as I listened to Clive, that was all well done. There's not to add on that. But he did mention, as long as it's consistent, and I'm sure there's many people thinking, well, it wasn't even consistent in the game, right? I mean... Rodri should have had a yellow for taking down Havertz in the first half. Might have changed things dramatically. Uh, uh, Party had a yellow way early. I think it was 16 minutes in, which Im- maybe impacted us when mm. they when we conceded the goal, as he couldn't take down um, who was it? it was Foden who who danced past him. And um, Rodri escaped for the same foul. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I think there's another big point here, which is Man City are brilliant at that stuff. Uh, Rodri's like everybody knows about him the ref knows about him but he makes him look like nothing so does Bernardo Silva all the City guys know how to do rotational fouling and even though I, the referee, everybody they're just really good at making it not look like that the, the look, the body language they've been to Champions League finals They've now won the Champions League. Like they've been deep in competitions, rotational fouled all the way through. They are masters, not at not getting seen or caught, making the foul look like it wasn't that much. And we're not quite there yet. We do the same fouls. We get penalized. They do the same fouls. I don't think there's any extra love for City out there. I mean, it's not that I disagree with you, Paul. I just think that shouldn't have to be our responsibility. (laughs) <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, I, I guess that's word. naive. Football, look, the fundamental thing about football is it's not fair, and we should never ask it to be fair. You've got to play the ref, you got to play the game, you got to play the, the rules within the game. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. The yeah. game within the game, yeah. within the game. That's well, just how it is if you want to win. I don't want to go too deep on this because we've got a lot no, of... I, don't, I just want to give you a feeling. because <laughs> I, I thought the referee was fighting to establish new rules, and he was... It's, that was his job on the day, to try and manage the game and make sure everyone knew there's a new rules, there are new thresholds. So he was a test case. And we were the team that became the test case. Right? And there was a feeling, I had this feeling, that we were playing the treble winners, the most famous team in the world right now, you know, the most, the most winningest team in the world, that's the right phrase. <laughs> and I did feel a little bit mm, like, yeah. yes, he, I did feel he did like them a little bit more than us. And yes, I did feel that they were the big team versus the smaller team. And maybe every fan feels that. And I can't really explain it. But I looked down and thought, yeah, you are making sure that 
Two to one favourite. Which which manager was getting booked first on the sideline, regardless? Given Arteta's, they're only human referees. Given Arteta's history last year on the sideline, you know he knew it was going to happen, and and it was fine. You just know it's going to happen, and you've got to smile it off. Be fair, Clive. Pep had, Pep had quite a bit of extra weight on him and was more sluggish. He was he was never going to book, get booked for the same animation that Arteta. <laughs> I didn't have that view. Touche. <laughs> So, excuse me. So, <laughs> yes. so basically, um, I just thought, you know what? They've achieved what they want to achieve. The whole nation is now talking about the new rules, right? And we were we were the ones that are unlucky to be in the showcase game, but we won, and we were we were lucky to be in the showcase game. So it's absolutely fine. Yeah, and and I think I think one of the things that maybe was a a, a point. I don't know if he did this intentionally. Thomas Party got booked in the. Eighth minute, seventh minute, something like that. I almost wonder if it was also to show teams around the league, we're going to start giving yellows early. Because one of the things I've hated about the way games are refereed in the Premier League is, in the first 10 minutes, you can do whatever you want. You can kick someone in the face. You can punch him in the stomach. You can you know, take out a fork and stick it in their eye. You're not going to get a card. And so there's almost like this grace, you know, this this safe harbor early in the game where you're allowed to do whatever you want without a card. I think it's a good thing if referees are willing to show a card in the first minute. If you commit a yellow card challenge in the first minute, you should get a yellow card. And so maybe there's there's a little bit of something that too. But Clive, I, I think this is really important, and it's important that I bring it up to show that I'm growing as a podcaster and an analyst of the game. All I look at, I want you to know, I wish you could see football the way I see football. Sadly, I think very few people can, and I wish I could. What I see is I see the attacking third, and the rest of the pitch is just blurry, and I don't care what happens there. But I am trying to update the way I view it. Clive, if, if anything, what made Arsenal special last season was our back five. And what made Arsenal maybe crumble a little at the end of the last season was our back five. So I was very curious to see that part of the pitch today. You know, and we could all name it, Zinchenko, Gabriel, Saliba, White, and Ramsdale. Last season, when they played, by and large, we were good. When they didn't, we had problems. And so now it's Timber, Gabriel, Saliba, White, Ramsdale. I thought the back five to a man were brilliant. Saliba got a lot of the praise, deservedly. Timber might have been a man of the match, in my estimation. White, unheralded. Gabriel, unheralded. Ramsdale saved a penalty. Imagine that. Ramsdale had that double save off the corner. Um, yeah, he had the one sort of West Hamish giveaway distributing the ball, but by and large, a very good game for him. I think Arsenal depend on their back five. Everything we do starts back there, and I thought the back five was excellent. I'm curious, your appraisal of the back five and any little tidbits you you can pick out of the way they perform, because I, I do think they enable us to either be a winning team or not a winning team. Yeah, obviously, you podcasted me for about a few years now. And uh, you are nothing without stability in in the back end of your pitch. I don't care what you think. You I'm are. nothing without stability in my back end as well, which is why you know I do squats. I, do. I don't care who you think you are. I don't care who you have at centre forward. I just don't. I don't care because if you're letting things out, your goalkeeper is picking the ball out of your net all the time. I don't care who you are. You're nothing. You're just a football you're team. You're Liverpool, playing, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, and, that, and that's it, right? So, of course, now football's changed. And uh, we can't, you know, Sol Campbell's at the back, not really good on the ball, won't work anymore. We now have to be like defensive midfielders on the ball, attacking midfielders on the ball, you know, wingers on the ball, <laughs> because it's all about ball progression now. So, um, yeah, stability at fullback particularly, I think it underpins the team and centre-backs are critical. They can 
travel, pressing, travel over their shoulders, big space defenders, one-on-one defenders, agile, they can carry both ways. We, we're lucky we've got a load of them. And now defending is becoming a bit more hybrid basis. So you can look at them and look at their size and say, well, fullbacks are looking like small centre-backs now and they can handle it. And if Man City had basically four centre-backs at the back, that can handle themselves in wide spaces, that can overlap and underlap. They can stop wingers because they've got agile feet, you know, but they're six foot two. You know, so um so when you do cross the back post, you've got a full, you've got a centre half there, can head it away at the back post, you know. You know, it's just incredible how the game is changing, you know. So Timber was shockingly good, you know, and shockingly mature. You know, really aggressive in one on ones. Different very he's not playing inverted in the same way. I don't know if the if the passing maps was us telling us that. I haven't checked them yet. But to me, he's playing like a, a fullback that varies his runs and support lines rather than stands inside in a double pivot. That's what he looks like to me with my natural mm. eye. I'm looking at the pass map here, Clive, and yeah, he's not he's not inverted. He's the widest player on the left. Yeah. And so uh, it's really Thanks, Paul, for that. Because that confirms something. All of that is stupid. Otherwise, <laughs> like, uh, and so Gabriel's Gabriel. So that's he's fine. Now he's tucked in a little bit more without the big space on the left hand shoulder to cover. He looked pretty good. Saliba, I didn't see this in the ground as clearly as I should have done when I got home. Oh my goodness, how good was he? I mean, ridiculous. And Ben White, a favorite of mine anyway. And Greenish and him don't seem to like each other, and they were at it. And I thought Ben White pocketed him, no problems at all and mm-hmm. was also the first guy out to break out to make our big quality chance. I thought his touch, technique, everything about him is class. And I don't understand how England can't see what we all see. You know, if you're the England manager, surely you're going to have him, Trent, and Zach on the right-hand side. See you later. So I'm just enjoy yourselves. But I don't know what he's playing out. That's just my little... That's my little thing. <laughs> and, so, um, and so, yeah, so, and because of that stability angle, and Paul, this part is really important. Thomas Part is in front of this back four, and because Sinchenko's not there, the technical burden we place upon him is extraordinary. And it's not going to work all the time. But modern football is about emptying the middle of the pitch to create passing lanes to go through to your forward four. Or five. And to do that, you need to overburden somebody. And that person we overburden on a technical level to allow us to progress the ball is Thomas Pai. And without Sinchenko or Shaka to bounce off in the early phases, he got robbed. But when they got near him, and when we had when we were calmer, and when we dropped a bit deeper, we were able to progress. And so the problem solving on this game was stunning, mate. Absolutely stunning. And it didn't cost us a goal. Sorry, go ahead, Paul. I can see you can say something. Yeah, do you think, like Saliba balled in this game and some of his passing, do you think that was a significant help to party? They even interchanged at times, or at least party dropped into the back line or between the two centre-backs or as quickly as right back. But the fact that he had Saliba just to his his right and back to distribute from there, and he didn't have that for the run-in, 
when he looked so out of form oh, last season. He did it. And it's not a party protection thing, but the people in front of me were having a go at him and he started to play really well and they said, you know what, he's a good player. <laughs> and sometimes <laughs> we all do it. I did it last week with Eddie. I thought, hey, Eddie, come on, mate. I looked at it afterwards. I thought, oh, he had a good game. <laughs> yeah, so like, uh, we, we, we all do it. We all do it. But where I was sitting, I had a really good tactical cam view. So I could see the dropping in of party first, then right into the back line. So they paid like a one plus one in there, not as a double pivot, one behind, one in front. And they really did sort of manage that and share that role and rotate in that role. Sleeper did ball. And so you could, he just stepped in and said, all right, I'm going to step in and do distribution. And he flicked it to Odegaard. I don't know, so many times, blind passes around the corner. The most, the, I'll tell you now, lads, it's my favourite tactical game I've seen in ages from a tactical mm. point of view because this stuff matters it really matters the level that this game was at was top forget the result forget the penalties forget everything the level of this game the, the how the mistakes were punished my goodness party just got rolled on the halfway line little deflection T doesn't quite read it and then he, they're in his, is he a top corner done out of nowhere, it's just like done. You know, it's it, it's incredible to watch the level of how you get punished at this at this level. It's incredible to watch, you know. But we got back in, right? And we deserve to get back in because we deserve to be on the pitch with them. And that, that is my overall message. Yeah, yeah. The the tactical battle was obviously very interesting. I mean, in a way, <laughs> this I think the positive of playing City right before the season starts is. It's a reminder to the players of just how intense you have to be. You cannot switch off. You cannot lose focus. You cannot stand in the wrong spot. You do that, you're done. You lose. They kill you. At the same time, we are going to play a low block team that's going to try to counter on us on Saturday. And that's going to require us to have different qualities. And it's it's interesting because I think Timber was, as I said, a candidate for man of the match. If Zinchenko's fit tomorrow, Zinchenko starts for me against Forrest. Because I think what Zinchenko gives us in terms of our ability to control games where we need to be dominant in the final third and dominate possession is just absolutely unique. Um, I, I also, <clears throat> there are little things that are interesting about the way we play in terms of partnerships and, and connections. When we play with Jesus, I just think Martinelli comes into the game more. I think... Jesus drifts to that left half space a bit more. He brings him into the game. Shaka would stand on the edge of the box, right? Stand on the edge of the box, and 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 Martinelli could make little runs. I think Rice still learning the left eight role, playing it a little differently than Shaka. Obviously, where is Martinelli all game? Chalk on his boots. I thought Saka at times struggled to be in this game. I don't think this was a strong game for either of our wingers ultimately. And then Trissard comes on and wins the game for us and was lively. And that's going to lay, raise a lot of questions. Now, I don't think you want Trissard playing with chalk on his boots either. I don't think that's who he is. I don't think he's going to be any better if he's got a stand out there. But Paul, I mean, we might as well just jump to it. If there is any player in the squad... So it's there's some fascinating things about the team we put out with Jesus not here. Because if you think about it, if Jesus is fit tomorrow, Jesus starts. As long as party is fit, he's starting right now. You're not taking his place. So it kind of means that Kai Havertz and Declan Rice are two huge new signings are basically candidates for the same role at the moment, which is a fascinating position to be in and one that we may not have expected. Um, I mean, if Jesus had a miraculous recovery tomorrow and was fit for Forrest, he'd start. Who starts at left eight? 
Havertz or Rice. Because that's really, it is a one-for-one selection. Um, But if there is a player, and I'll come back to you on that in a moment, Clive. If there is a player in the entire squad who's not a nailed-on starter who has made his case this summer to be one, it's probably Troussard. And I'm curious how you see that situation, Paul, because... Trissard might say, play me at left eight, play me at center forward, play me at left wing. I don't care. I belong on the pitch. I think he's made his case in preseason. He wins us this game. Granted, not with an amazing shot, but look at the way he drops his shoulder, cuts inside, and if Tim were here, he'd be beaming because he uses his weaker foot and he gets the luck that his endeavor deserves. He had a couple nice flicks on the touchline. He added an injection of energy to the game, which you'd hope a sub would do, obviously. What do you think? Has Trissard, there's no more he can do. Is there a position Trissard can make his own to start the season, at least, based on his preseason performance? No, I don't think there is. I think he's been great. I think he's won preseason. I think Mikel absolutely loves the guy. I think he feels incredibly appreciated. I think he's the first sub on, the first rotation option into the team for certain spots. And it's kind of how it is. Rice and Havertz are going to largely be default starters. And when you add Jesus in, yeah, it gets a little crowded. Um, and I've I've been impressed by how happy Trossard looks, given unless unless he sees it differently, unless he's been told something differently. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, he knows he's got a battle to be a, a starter for most games. Um, but he's he's the twelfth man, and he's is in in that sense he's as important as the first eleven um, because he's the guy who keeps the level and comes on like he really did pick us up in this game. We were starting to drift. The game was starting to drift. We were starting to accept our fate, and he was working like a demon on the left hand side. Over on the right hand side, he forces this situation. Okay, it's a a fluky off somebody's arse into the net kind of thing. I think it's important psychologically that it, we got a return against City for extra effort and graft because you normally don't. And that yeah. next time yeah. round, we think, you know what? It might actually be worth giving it a push in the last 10 minutes. We might actually be able to get... Sometimes you just get lucky through good effort, through banging in crosses and shots and and keeping going full bore. And I think Trossard always comes on. He's always professional, always looks like he's enjoying it. And I, you know, as the season progresses and you have an injury and and fatigue, he'll play more and more games. But yeah, I just think it's inevitable. He has to be and seems to be so far up for the twelfth guy role. Um, and yeah, we'll, we'll see how that plays out. From on, on the Martinelli Saka thing, I think I said this on the IR. I think we asked them to do something a bit different in this game. We saw Rice pushing in the front three, and we saw Martinelli tucked in as beside Party to hold our shape, and Sanka tucking in as well. We were very narrow, very tucked in, and then yeah. they'd have yeah. to flip too. So it was a very different game for them, and they were under like, you know, Martinelli versus Walker. I mean, it's that's never going to be an easy battle. So when he does come out of being defensively in shape behind Rice, for God's sake, he's then wandering up to the Walker battle. Probably not a game where he was ever going to look at his full level. And I think this was a very Man City look in terms of how we structured ourselves. We were Mm. super narrow. We expected them to... Here's an interesting stat. Um, Goal kick length in this game. 
for us, it was 66 yards from our goal kick. Now you think, well, top teams play out from the back, but I mean, it's been a bit of a feature for us, but that's pretty extreme. Now you got Havertz up there to hoof it to and other players, their goal kick length, six yards. So, and we saw that play rolling it to the two midfielders, the two deeper sixes with Rodri and with, uh, what's his face? Uh, Kovacic. Um, and them looking to play through the middle and then swinging out to the side. And we were super narrow with the three, our three pressers up front. And Martinelli and Saka took right in behind them. And that, like they had 60 something or other percent possession. So that was a big factor in the game. Saka and Martinelli tucked in because that's how this game played out. And I think Arteta uh, guessed that was how it was going to play out. Mm. Yeah, it was interesting because I think we started the game being willing to drop into a mid-block and drop off. And then there were times in the second half where we turned the press on. I thought it looked pretty good, actually, which was nice to see. Clive, I have an important question for you about the goal we conceded and about Jorginho. Um, But I do need to let you know, uh, because if we're talking about pressing, if we're talking about getting touch tight, if you're getting touch tight, you want to be smooth. And if you want to be smooth when you're getting touch tight, the only way to do that is with Manscaped. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> first segue of the new season. Um, as it says here, the Premier League is back in action, so it's only right to partner with the Premier Men's Grooming Company. Now, look, they want us to focus on their off-the-ball movement. I think that's good. That's We're, we're into that here at the podcast. And so I'm going to brag on a product they just came out with, the Beard Hedge Face Trimmer. This thing is awesome. So they sent it to me, candidly. I absolutely love it. It's this little beautiful, compact, travel-friendly face trimmer. You can trim, you can fully shave, you can get different lengths without having to change different guards. They say 20 lengths. I, I don't grow a beard that's capable of going 20 lengths, but that's what they say. It uh, You could literally trim your face for the entirety of a football match because the la- battery lasts 90 minutes. It's uh, waterproof as well. This thing is for traveling. It's for at home. Sometimes, like, I don't want to shave, but I just want to touch up a little bit. I want to get a little bit cleaner in the face region. Um, this thing is absolutely perfect for that. So I think you will love it. <clears throat> of course, they still have the Lawnmower 4.0, the absolute best purpose-built uh, trimmer for your privates. So you can handle the down low area and handle your face. The the, the face trimmer has titanium-coated T-blades. The Lawnmower has ceramic blades. They both have beautiful batteries. They're both wet, dry. You're going to love them. Uh, you can do something really special right now. You know what you can do? You can get 20% off and free delivery with code ARSENALVISION at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free delivery at manscaped.com. Use code ARSENALVISION and get 20% off free shipping. Celebrate the new season of the beautiful game with your newly beautiful, it says here, balls and face. I don't write the copy. I read the copy, at least most of it. And look, there is no I in team, but there is one in Indeed, and that's the hiring platform you need to build yours. They are back, and that means Clive's signature statement at the end of the ad reads is going to be relevant again. Thank God, because we've been giving them free ad time for months and months and months. Indeed is a hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Look, don't spend hours on a bunch of different job sites. Why would you do that? You don't like go to different search engines, right? You go to one, you search, they give you what you need. Spend go to Indeed is a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. They streamline hiring with powerful tools that find you match candidates. Here's the one I want to tell you about, Instant Match. I think it's really cool. Over 80% of employers get quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match their job description the moment they sponsor a job, according to Indeed data. And this is critical. With Indeed, you only pay, okay, you only pay for the job 
the candidates that match your needs. So, you know, you're not wasting money. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Oh, no, wait. Indeed.com slash BlueWire Sports. They're making it longer so that it's easier to remember. I don't get it. Offer good for limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash Blue Rider Sports. Go to Indeed.com slash Blue Rider Sports and support the show by saying you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com. Hey, yeah, that's it. Wait, wait, stop. Make sure you say you heard it on this podcast because we want credit. Blue Wire Sports. I mean, we love Blue Wire Sports, but we want the credit. Indeed.com slash Blue Wire Sports. Terms and conditions apply. You need to hire. You need to Is that enough of that? Indeed. Indeed. Oh, the first one of the season feels good, doesn't it? You just you get in there, you, you, you screech a little. It, talk a little fast. Your brain goes all scrambly. Everyone's good. Clive, Jorginho was not in the team. There are some rumors that he might be off. I think that'd be a problem. I went on Twitter and I said, uh, we absolutely can't afford to lose him unless we replace him with someone good. And a lot of people were like, that's crazy, Elliot, because we have uh, plenty of midfielders. I don't see it that way. I could maybe explain a bit, but I won't. I'll just let you say more intelligent things. But basically... The goal we concede, Thomas Party does something that I am convinced is a byproduct of fatigue. I don't think he does that in the 20th minute. I think when players over-gamble to intercept, it's because they don't want to make the run back. Often that's the case, right? I'll jump the ball here because I don't want to be in the foot race going backwards. Um, in fact, Jorginho likes to do that. He likes to jump the ball early because he knows he can't get in a foot race with the player going the other direction. Party over-gambles, and then he doesn't have the legs to get back in the running race. And Tierney gets a foot on the ball. I got to say, I think you have to do better. I think he's got to get more on that ball, get that ball away. And then he slips so he can't block the shot. And Cole Palmer finishes beautifully. I don't think Ramsdale can do anything about it. What's your take on the way they were able to expose the midfield when, when Party gambles on that in that moment? And maybe if he was available, if he's saying, is that a time of the game when Jorginho would be on? We've talked a lot on this podcast that Jorginho could be a finisher. At least Tim had sort of thought that. Now it looks like he may not be available to us at all. What do you think? That's a lot, that's a lot of stuff you've projected there based on one rumor. We don't know this true. <laughs> that, well, like, yeah, but, but like a lot of people were telling me, nah, mate, he's off, he's going to go, blah, blah. And like, I, that's a shock to me. I feel like we need him. But other people... Yeah, I, I, think he's, I think he's needed. But I think if you look at this game overall... The 11 we picked were our 11 best defenders. To those looking at Trossard, he could not defend against Carl Walker like Martinelli can. You know, so we should mm, accept that. Point. And the same for Saka on the right-hand side. You need the threat of speed to make sure they respect you at Mancy. Otherwise, they're back four. They, they build up in a 4-2. They will just over overrun you. And if you haven't got that threat of speed in wide areas, you're in trouble. Right? So that's why teams are being selected. Don't always look at the form, because I think Trossard will play at, at Forest, by the way. I think he'll play in that game. Home game against a deep block. Nice little small feet, small space game. He's, he's brilliant at creating chances. So, that's that side of things. On the goal, I don't want to kill too much on the first press, because Arsenal pressed quite well in this game overall. And the fact he was there felt to me like he was meant to be there <laughs> if you see what I mean he went in with such aggression but Phil Foden who mm. had just come on and what I will say we haven't really discussed this the substitutes on both sides maybe changed the game slightly you know so I thought when Foden and De Bruyne came on I felt they controlled those central areas really really well and challenged us we didn't react so well to that due to fatigue then we made changes and a change in shape once we, once we conceded 
And we've jumped him, and he has spun him beautifully. And boy, that boy can spin. But Party was right after him. He wasn't lagging. He was trying to run him down because he knew he'd missed it. He knew he'd missed first contact. And then Foden played a sloppy pass out. And he got a little deflection, and then that sort of done Tierney a bit. And I sort of give Tierney a bit of a kick in the IR. I didn't see that deflection until I got home. But he was he didn't he wasn't sure whether to stop it or clear it. And ended up doing nothing. At the moment, just get your body in front of it, stop it until you can get your shape to clear it. Do you know what I mean? Ends up doing nothing, goes to Cole Palmer and he slots it. And so one mistake, he just come out of nowhere. Oh my god, he's been turned. And we could all see the space behind him. And we just couldn't catch up. Rice was coming from one side, I think he was still on the pitch then. We couldn't recover in and they just really, really transitioned fast. Given the fact that we pressed them so well the whole game, was it fatigue or was it a missed call, a misread, or was it good bit of skill? I'm, I'm genuinely not sure. There are other people that um, look at pressing schemes better than me, you know, and so they'll say, yeah, Clive, you should have gone in there. He was late or it was just a good bit of skill. I, I don't want to say, but when he got turned, it was obvious it was on. It was on and they, and they executed and that tells you the level. He could have kicked in the car park, right? And we would have said, oh, got away with that. But, the, but they don't kick in the car park. <laughs> they, they, they kick in that top square thing, you know? And um, <laughs> right there, you know? And, uh, and, so, and so, yeah, it, I, I, I would have been gutted if I'd have walked away and that had been the goal that I decided today. Because it was really out of nothing. And uh, we sort of did it to ourselves a little bit. So um, that's my view on it, it. Yeah, all right. I, I think that's fair. I Look... I I believe that Thomas Party is obviously a very, very good player. The two things we know about Thomas Party is he's not a 90-minute player most games, and he's not a 38-game player. And you have to plan for that. And Declan Rice can be part of the plan for that, of course. But it's clear that at least in some situations, Declan Rice is going to play with Thomas Party. So the question is, what are your options in midfield? With all due respect to Mohamed Elneny, Mohamed Elneny is no longer going to play football for Arsenal. Like, come on. He hasn't played in years. I, I don't think anybody thinks he was great before. He was sort of a, a guy who could complete 90% of his passes sideways and backwards. But Jorginho is a player who can come in and give you a very high level. Uh, Clive, thoughts? I just want to... Uh, we, we have a problem in this team. I'm going to say it to you now. <laughs> we have a problem. The problem I see is the way we play with Thomas Pye no one else can do that. Declan Rice can't do what Thomas Partey does. He would do it a different way. Georgina can't do what mm, Thomas Partey does. He does it a different way. The best version of Arsenal seems to have Thomas Partey in the middle of it. And I know we have to find another way. Maybe that mm. will come with Zinchenko when he comes back. But I think so. Find, because I, I, I'm a huge fan of Thomas Partey, but he's 30 years of age, right? And I know the future belongs to the 24-year-old. Right? So let's not pretend mm -hmm. that's the way it goes. Look at our 25-year-old goalkeeper that most of us love. He's under pressure from a 27-year-old about to land. Right? So this isn't this isn't kindergarten. We can all see what's happening here with the level of this team. But we have to find another way to play because we rely on this guy so much. He's so important to how we get a rhythm to our game. Declan Rice has just arrived. He needs time. So you're saying Thomas Partey is not a 90-minute player. Right now, Declan Rice is not a 90-minute player. And Thomas Barty plays nine. Yeah, agree. Right, so we are still getting fit. We're still finding ourselves. We're still finding combinations. 
So before we rush to those conclusions about whose role has this and all the rest of it, I will say overall, I thought our substitute did quite well. They all came in, I thought Tierney, apart from maybe Tierney, I thought Vieira did well, I thought Trossard was excellent, I thought Smith-Rowe did well. They did, they did quite well. You know, so um, and they changed the rhythm of the game. So, and I thought at a time when we were knackered, Saka was knackered, completely knackered. And Eddie looked at it and went, "I'm going to stretch this team." And he made some great runs into the corner. And I promise you, lads, that's exactly what was required. Sometimes I look at the the sofa score, I see a, I see a mark. I think, mate, Eddie deserved an extra mark for making a couple of runs to get them off us. Do you know what I mean? He really did. In the context of the game. He did what was required. I thought a lot of the players did, hence why I was very positive about them. Forget the execution. Are you doing the right thing by the rest of your teammates? And I thought I felt we did that. Yeah, and just to give you a reference point here, William Saliba was our top passer with 74 passes. It's not that unusual. Thomas Party was next. Gabriel was next. Odegaard was next. Ben White was next. Declan Rice was next. Bukayo Saka was next. Aaron Ramsdale was next. Then Urian Timber, 25 passes. That's not the Zinchenko role, <laughs> okay? I I think what Zinchenko gives us in terms of taking taking some heat off of Thomas Party, taking some of the the not just the pressure but the responsibility off his superpowers. Zinchenko's superpowers. You look up, he's always three yards away from you, wherever you are, wherever the ball is. He goes to be the option for the next guy. And Timber, I don't know if Timber can do that, firstly, but he wasn't asked to do that, clearly. That's not the plan for him. But with Zinchenko, it is. And I just think, especially, you know, it's one thing against Man City where you need to keep your shape, you need to keep your structure, and you need to be thinking about your defensive transitions. Against other teams, I, I just think you need that Zinchenko presence, and that will make that will make the balance feel a little easier for everybody. Um, Paul, we did get an equalizer a, what, in the 100th minute, I want to say, 101st minute. We are thankful for that stoppage time. We already talked Trissard, so we don't have to talk about it more. I thought it was a lovely moment. I have to admit, somewhere around the 70th, 75th minute, I started thinking, hey, this was an encouraging performance. Can we get Odegaard off? Can we get Sack off? Can we start looking towards Forrest? Glorious failure. You know, we played well. Not a bad loss. Obviously, I'm much happier winning it and going to penalties I will be very interested. You know, there's a lot of people, Paul, who seem to think the strength of our squad means that we will be a more rotating team this season. We'll be a more share the minutes team. We'll be a more horses for courses team. We've never seen Mikel be that. And here we are in our first sort of quasi-competitive game, and he's not looking at the subs bench. I mean, Trissard is the guy you know is going to come on, and after that it was like, I don't know if I want to make any changes until he had to change the formation. What do you think of the changes he did make to change the game, though? Because that I thought was interesting. Taking off a defender, right? Going to a change of shape. Anything in there in the substitution patterns that, that maybe gives you an eye towards how we might chase games this season when we're behind or how we might approach the the closing stages of a game where we need a goal? Um, no, my mind went more to the attitude. I think M- Mikel felt like me, which was not, oh, well, we played pretty well and we went down a goal and it's City. Not a coward like me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not a coward like you. Um, I was pissed more more than I had a right to be because it was only the community shield, and I didn't I didn't really care whether we. I did care. Uh, I came into this saying I didn't care 
what the result was going to be. I cared about the level of the performance because Mm. we have this thing where we play well against City, we pat ourselves on the back, and then we have 10 minutes where our concentration goes. And that 10 minutes happened in this game. De Bruyne comes on, finds himself in space two or three times. We got sloppy. And I'm sure Mikel was pissed, absolutely pissed, that, like, what does... 60 or 70 good minutes against City do for you. Not much. They're going to kill you in the other 10, 20 minutes. And that's what, for me, that's what this game was about. Showing our stuff works against their stuff and maintain the levels against City for the full 90. Like, you're, they're always going to get a moment or they're always going to get a spell. That's not what I'm talking about. When Party got beaten, think of all the space that Foden and De Bruyne found themselves in. Think of how sloppy that goal played out. It just felt sloppy again. Think of the time we played City. And remember the Bernardo Silva waltzes into the penalty box and gets the peno against Xhaka. The crime wasn't that Xhaka dangled a leg. It's the fact that they, us having played so well for best part of 90 minutes, they waltzed through us at one point by just doing some triangles on the right-hand side. And I'm sure that after all the energy and thought and effort that went into the psychology and the importance and the battles, we then get carved open and two players find themselves in complete space, walls through us, we're dinging it around the back and not clearing it. I'm sure he was pissed. And what the subs brought us was that energy, that focus, that the can do itness, especially Trossard, uh, but I think everybody looked bright. Uh, and to be mm-hmm. fair to poor old Kieran Tierney, he'd just come on and there was a deflection uh, to the to the ball that I think he nods it down and he, he, he can't do that much with it. He doesn't have a lot of choices of where he's going to nod it to. But, you know, not the not as sharp as moment. He kicks, but it. He, he kicks it. It was deflected. It. it was just, it just... He just got himself in a tiz. What do I do with this? It's, it's changing angle. Yeah. And he just didn't quite adjust to the flight of the ball, a changing flight of the ball. I felt from a yeah. bit there. I think Rice funny has enough, dangled a leg. And was it, was it, look, that's it. That's right. It a, Paul. But you know what? Funny enough, mate, if a right is on the pitch, it's a natural body shape to hook that away. Do you know what I mean? Mm, and yeah. he just made that substitution. And it's like, you know, yeah. the perfect player for that is a right footed centre back to just clear that away, you know, the way it arrived, you know. Just it just just it's a bit of a nightmare cameo for Tierney, honestly. Like it just it didn't nothing really went from there's one kind of ugly moment where we just passed it out in a touch. <laughs> like under basically no pressure. I the thing for Tierney, and we'll come on to this maybe is he needs a move because most match day squads, he teams uh, squads, he he won't be in the squad. He won't make the bench. And like Kieran Tierney cannot be a player who doesn't make the bench. Like that's whatever you think of him, whether you think he's brilliant or not brilliant or anywhere in between, having Kieran Tierney on whatever he's on with whatever talent he has, not making match day squads is it's just not a tenable situation. That's where he's going to find himself most match days. We can get into that in a moment. Um, well, okay. I, I want to talk about the squad battles in a minute, but I, I do want to get to the penalty shootout. I, I think I think the penalty shootout is kind of fascinating, Clive. If you're up for it, um, we took some excellent penalties by and large. Uh, Ramsdale saved one, which is great. Kevin De Bruyne hit the bar, which was fun. Um, 
I mean, Fabio Vieira, I feel so good for him. I was at MetLife. I watched him trudging up the pitch after he missed his penalty. He looked like a guy who might as well have been trudging literally out the door of the club. He was that down. His team was trying to lift him. He looked down, scores a great goal at SoFi. He's put a couple penalties away since then. Um, this one looked great. And I just think because of the position he plays, he may be a player we need. If Martin Odegaard is out, I don't know who we'd pick for that role, but he's the guy who's probably supposed to play that role. And uh, I'm happy for him. Overall, just a nice bit of penalties. And I think what a lot of people are going to come away from the penalty shootout with Clive, if they're going to want to draw conclusions, is maybe, maybe, maybe there should be a new penalty taker in the team. Um, I, I've been seeing a lot of chatter on that, and I, I can't disagree. Martin Odegaard took his penalty brilliantly. What do you think of the penalty shootout? And does it does it mean anything beyond the day? Yeah, I was pleased to Saka score his penalty. I think that's the first penalty he's taken at Wembley since he the penalty that he missed. So I was quite pleased mm. with him on that regard. Um, I, I thought um, that also obviously our penalties were great. I have to say, Vieira's penalty was a joke. <laughs> His technique on ball striking is a joke. I mean... Yeah, he can that, kick a ball. He must be having his Weetabix for breakfast, mate, because I don't know how... He should not be able to kick that ball that hard. It, it, it shouldn't <laughs> happen. You know, I'm not looking at him. It's just... it's When I got home and watched it, you can almost hear it rip into the net. You know, and it was just, it was just beautiful. Um, he's finding himself, mate. You know, um, I've he's finding himself. He's obviously got talent. Before we bought him, we could see the talent. He lost himself a little while. He locked. He, he dropped a bit of confidence. We moved him to the right side of the pitch, which was always the best side. But it took a while to find that out. He's on the right hand side of the pitch now, which means it's a natural body shape for him to invert and then travel inwards. If I'm him, I'm traveling inside rather than outside, because when you're on your left foot towards lane four and lane three. Well, anything can happen, you know. Because he's got he's got rockets in that in that foot, honestly. And uh, if he can develop a, a nice dink cross to the back stick, we've got someone to head it in now. He has a role in this group. I think he's showing the energy and belief on and off the ball that's growing, you know. And but he wasn't alone. I thought Smithrow did okay in this game. I thought Trossard just just came on and just said, "Yeah, I'm having it with you. I belong right with you." And there's nothing you can do to stop me. You can pin me to the touchline, you can't stop me. I, I think he's, a, he's he surprised me, his quality. It really surprised me. I didn't know he was this good. It feels as though the more technical players he's around, the better he is. You know? And so I, I did think the subject made a major impact. I can say that now because we got the result. When I watched it again last night, you could see their liveliness. You could see they hadn't given up and they wanted to have an impact. And um, at halftime yesterday, I was thinking... This game is such high quality. The only people that can live at this level, apart from the 11 on the pitch, in addition, was Trossard, Jesus, and Zinchenko. I thought they're the only ones that could live. But we've got two or three more that are on their way. you know. And how quickly they get there, I think, is really important because this is the level that we need to try to hit when we have injuries. And it's a, it's a high level, Elliot. It's really high. It is. Paul? It's the North London Derby at Tottenham Stadium. It's the 101st minute. It's 1-1. There's a foul. Somehow we've been awarded a penalty, which is amazing. Who do you want taking it? Um, probably at the moment, Odegaard. Uh, 
he's probably the best bet apart from Saka to still be on the bet, on the pitch <clears throat> to take a penalty or to be on the pitch in a critical moment in a critical game. Um, you know, he does get yanked at times. He doesn't doesn't always play the ninety, but usually when uh, we're going to sit back a little bit, hold our shape, do a little more defending. So, um, yeah, I, I I think he has uh, Saka got his scored his penalty, but I thought he looked a little nervy myself. Um, and you know, maybe he'll come back into it in terms of his confidence and his penalty taking, etc. But uh, I think Odegaard can do whatever he wants with with a ball. And he, very quick feet, very good, you know, really quick hips so he can go either side. Um, yeah, uh, I think he's most likely be, you know, Jorginho would be a great option, but he's probably not on the pitch. Uh, Trossard would be great. Vier Havertz, be, is, Havertz has looked good taking pens. I know he's not a great yeah, finisher, but, but penalties are a different technique than, than goal scoring. It's a yeah. different thing. The Chelsea lads like like those high corners mm. uh, uh, to hit on the back of the net. So, yeah, he, he, he looks good. Uh, as a penalty taker, I don't. I mean, we'll see if he's going to start every game all season. It, like you do, kind of want that from your penalty taker, uh, or will he be a bit more rotationy with different roles? Uh, which maybe you know your mindset between how att- attacking you are and, and your responsibilities on the pitch. But yeah, he, Havertz would be a good shout too. It seems on the little evidence we've seen, um, and. A, I mean, you'd have the added benefit that Havertz would be getting goals and feeling good about his contributions as his goal. You know, if you've got uh, 13 goals in a season and eight of them are penalties, still feels pretty good and you start feeling a little more confident. So there's the extra benefit of having Havertz take them, just getting his goal count up and that's spreading to the rest of his game. But yeah, Odegaard for me. Very cool, calm, collected. And like we talked about on the IR, but what a captain's performance. I mean, he was just brilliant against City. He wanted that that win uh, and that performance, I think, more than anybody on the pitch. Absolutely uh, feverish in his work rate, his energy. And some of the touches, I mean, we had a technical level that at times was better than City's. At times. And usually when the ball was at Odegaard's feet. Just incredible what he did. He just rinsed those guys multiple times. And you heard it from the crowd, the oohs and the ahs. Like, great day for the crowd. Uh, I don't need to tell Clive that. Uh, great <laughs> atmosphere. They had, the, you know, they had the day they deserved. And our players gave them multiple moments where they could just ooh and ah and feel in that moment uh, we had the technical level, the best technical level on the pitch. Yeah, City fans didn't really show up, but I can't take the piss too much because the kickoff time was just ridiculous for anyone traveling from Manchester. So, you know, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, Yeah, Martin Odegaard is is a really special player. And this this thing, there's a reason we talk about prime age. Martin Odegaard is 24 going into his 25-year-old season. Bukasak is 21 going into his 22-year-old season. Bukasak is a superstar. Martin Odegaard is a superstar. Martin Odegaard should be going into the absolute pinnacle of his career now the best he can be i also think one reason i might give the penalties to odegaard is simply this while odegaard is the captain of the team and you'd think all the pressure beyond him i feel we put so much pressure on bukayo saka there's just something about academy kid saka he is the face of the club right now he's been asked to shoulder so much pressure 
as the face of the club at this young age. And I'd almost like to take a little pressure off him and just let him focus on his game. And I think the extra pressure of penalties, you know, and the the conversation that surrounds penalties, made or missed, I, I look, goal scorers want to be the penalty taker, right? They get to pump those numbers up. But I, I think I'd probably have Odegaard taking them right now, and in part because I think it just gives Saka room to grow. Clive, you don't care about this, but I do. So I'm going to talk about it, and if you would like to join me in the conversation, be my guest. <laughs> we have an interesting squad right now, and Mikel Arteta has said it's bloated, and it is bloated. The, the window is still open, and then clearly some sales need to be made. Look at our bench from this game. Look who made it, look who didn't. And realize that Jesus was out. Zinchenko was out. Um... I think, you know, Reese Nelson, I think, would probably be someone who'd make a match team because we don't have a good backup for him. Reese Nelson was out, and there's another big one. Ah, uh, Jorginho wasn't in the team as well. Those are four players who, if they're in our, if they're still at Arsenal, are making a match day squad. All of them, I think. Which means four players who were on the bench yesterday won't make match day squads. And even if you say, well, we're never going to be fully fit, fine, take two players off that bench yesterday. It is pretty bloated right now. There are some positional battles going on that are kind of interesting. Where do you stand right now on where the squad is? I mean, it seems pretty clear to me. we got to get some players moving out and then maybe look at, at a couple other moves. Because also, uh, you know, I think the Raya and Turner thing will happen. That's my instinct. But I think there's there's a lot more that needs to. Yeah, so the Raya thing is moving as we speak. Um, around 10 mil for the, the deal. So, sorry. That's Matt Turner. For Turner, Turner, moving yeah. As we speak. 10, mil. Ten mil for the deal, and the Reyes obviously he was spotted in the ground yesterday, so he'll be, uh, mm-hmm. he'll be in uh, the Arsenal end. <laughs> yeah, he'll be coming. He'll be coming in. Um, Balogun has just been uh, approached by Monaco. That's just broken as we speak. Uh, we've turned that deal down, so he'll go. Um, people, hey, look, we're going to see people go, and sometimes the ones that you want to go first they're not the ones that do go first and sometimes there's opportunities so you know what i'll go take that opportunity and then you have to reassess your own plans about who comes in for me pre-season is clear about a number of things new combinations getting people fit but also trialing people in certain areas and see how they succeed and that may dictate how you replace if certain people go i do think if you look at the squad i do think with smith Rowe and vieira if they both stay around there's a question there. Does one have to go on loan? For development point of view, there's no point in having two 22-year-olds sitting there not playing as much as they could do. You know, So you make sure one develops and one maybe gets more burdened on minutes. Make your choice. But player development comes first and protecting player value. So players that sit don't, don't increase in value. So we've got lots of decisions to make there. In centre media, you've always got to worry about Jorginho. Uh, I worry about him running backwards, not... <laughs> More than anything, so uh, and so that that's an issue. Um, the front end of the pitch, we're we're looking okay, but I, I want another forward. How does that compute? Let's let one or two go, right? So we're gonna have to see what's left. And I, I you know, we haven't mentioned Rob Holding. El Nenny's still there. Cedric is still there. There's a lot of players still around. Kieran Tierney, you know, I have a view. I think if if an opportunity came up, we should take it because I think we have enough fullback cover per se would they be hybrid fullbacks or real fullbacks I think we have enough to take 35 million of someone else's money to to use that elsewhere I, I think we have enough I just don't think it's 
that redundancy needs to be carried. And so, um, so yeah, this squad is not done yet, mate. This squad is not done. What we have done is brought in three fantastic players into this group. The togetherness of this group, I don't know if you guys could spot it off the screen yesterday, but it is unbelievable. You know, and that it transmitted itself to the to the crowd, and the new players are right in the middle of that. And uh, it's got better than last year. And so if that sounds crazy to me to say that, right? It's actually got better. Maybe can can I read you a quote from Mikel? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, l- l- let me read you a quote from Mikel on that because um, he was asked about Aaron Ramsdale saying that we proved we can beat Man City when it matters. You know, some people would guffaw at that, but he said, well, I don't have to agree or disagree. At the end, it's what the players feel and they are convinced they can beat any team. That's the challenge, especially with the maturity and how often they play finals. But today, I think we showed a resilience and determination to fight and deserve to win the game. I think, to your point, Clive, if they believe they can beat any team, that's what matters, right? Yeah. And and maybe that's where they're at now. And that's the biggest takeaway from the game. We, honestly, was the biggest takeaway for me, watching this game, the Man City game, and we've all done it, all of us, and go, crikey. This, this is tough. We all petrified, right? And um, to watch that game, I don't know how you guys felt, but I watched that game thinking for the first time we had some form of equilibrium. Proper equilibrium. Now, we know a couple of their players were undercooked. But we had some players undercooked. You know, we had our two Man City boys weren't there. And we, we might have had more control. You never know what could have happened. We had players undercooked as well, you know. Our £100 million signing can only last 70 minutes at the moment. But it's not, you know, we've got, a lot more to go. You know, we are still young. We've got a lot more to go. And that only helped us on our way. Well said. And look, this was a fun day. The celebration police were out in force at the end of it. Who cares what they say? Enjoy it. Um, I think it it puts us in a really good position to start the season. Again, I had some concerns about some of the things we'd seen in preseason. This was the perfect antidote to that. Because all the structure and intelligence and maturity and professionalism in our game that we saw last season was there. The distances looked right. Some players that maybe hadn't looked super sharp were starting to look really sharp. The back line looks great, even despite the absence of Zinchenko, who I think can take us up even another level. The team we pick for Forest will have to have an eye towards a few different things than the team we pick against City. And I'll be very curious to see what Mikel does with that. Um, center forward will be an interesting choice. Trissard being in or out of the starting 11 will be an interesting choice. And I, look, I understand people say, stop thinking in terms of starting 11s. I've said that. But I think we have to acknowledge that until Mikel shows us he doesn't think in terms of starting 11s, there's a starting 11. Because Mikel, more than any other manager in all of football over the last few seasons, has been wedded to a first 11 in his thinking. So we'll see if that changes with a bigger squad and a more versatile squad and if he uses that versatility. We're going to do a rewatch uh, of this game over on Patreon. We're going to have an- another pod later this week, but that pod is going to be our prediction pod, which means we'll probably do a forest preview for patrons on Friday just because I don't see how we can get the predictions and a preview of that match into the same pod. So prediction pod uh, is coming and a whole bunch of other stuff. If you go to our website, you can see our content schedule for the season. It's only the six days a week, so sorry about that seventh day. Um, but on the seventh day, Clive rested. So there you go. That's that's how it works. Um, we, we love you so much. We cannot wait 
to be along for the ride with you for this new season. And I think this is a perfect way to lead into it. You should feel excited. I know I do. And uh, can't wait to see people throughout the season on the rare chance I get to head over to the Emirates. Can't wait to see it live events when we have them. Can't wait to engage you on social media, talk to you after pods and after games. And, and we'll be here all season to share it with you. So predictions coming later this week. Paul is on Twitter at Pause My Pants. Thanks, Paz. Woohoo! Clive's on Twitter, Clive PFC. Thank you, Clive. Thank you very much. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. We love you. And for real now, we will talk to you after Arsenal 10, Forest Nil. No.